Welcome to Free Chapel Spartanburg with Pastor Javon Ruff. Let's join the service in progress. Judges chapter 6, beginning at verse 11, it says, uh, this word got stirred up in my heart last Sunday night at prayer, at our prayer meeting, which we had a powerful time at prayer, Lord of mercy. Um, and I couldn't get away from it. I couldn't shake it, something that was stirred in my heart. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach from this this morning and re- really centered around our families to a certain extent. And, um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you from this story of Gideon. Maybe you've never seen Gideon in this light before, but I want to really point out something to you and talk from there. Amen. The Lord calls Gideon, it says in my Bible, verse 11, and the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, valiant warrior, or some scripture says, mighty man of valor. Gideon said, Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where's all your wonders and that our fathers spoke about? God, if you're so good, you're so great and you're so mighty. Why is all of this happening to us? We don't see your hand. We don't see your blessing. And the scripture said, they said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from my grasp of the Midian. I am sending you. He said to him, please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, look at my family. It's the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the youngest or the least in my father's house. Verse 16, but I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. Then he said to him, If I have found favor with you, give me a sign that you are speaking with me. Give me a sign that you are speaking with me. And I'll stop there um, for the sake of time. And I want to jump into this particular text or story. I want to begin to share a story with you about General Jonathan Wainwright. He was the only United States general captured by the enemy during World War II. General Douglas MacArthur left Wainwright in charge of the Corridor Philippines with orders, never surrender, fight to the end. Wainwright tried to obey the order, but the destruction around him forced him to surrender, and he became a prisoner of war in Mongolia. He was guarded and was a precious prize. Wainwright labored under tremendous guilt. His body began to deteriorate and he became dependent on a cane to move around. In time, General MacArthur led his troops to total victory. MacArthur troops evicted the Japanese from from island after island. When this happened, prisoners were liberated all over Asia. But because Wainwright, listen to this, was held in Mongolia far away from Tokyo, his camp commandant was able to keep the truth from him for a while. Wainwright continued to behave like a prisoner of war. In my mind, I can only imagine that commandant who's watching Wainwright, this man who is now, his body has been beat up and bruised up and and emaciated. He's on a cane, 
But in my mind, I thought about how he sees this guy and he sees his natural condition, but yet on the inside of him, he may be that tough on the outside, on the inside, he's somewhat trembling and full of fear. Why would you say that, Javon? Think about it. This particular uh, commandant, who's got a full army at his disposal right now, multiple soldiers on his side, but yet putting on a facade on the outside, but fear and trembling on the inside. Why was he afraid, you would say, Javon? What, what's, what, what are you saying? Because, see, you got to understand his power over the general, listen to what I'm saying, was all based on a lie. The only thing that enabled this Japanese commandant to keep up this fraud was Wainwright's ignorance of the truth. Wainwright had been liberated, but he didn't know it yet. He had been ordered to take over the camp because he didn't know the truth. He continued to act like a prisoner of war. In other words, there was a battle that had been won in another place that gave him the victory in his place. But because he didn't understand the battle that was won in another place, he remained a prisoner in his place. And that Japanese commander knew that the only way that I can keep him bound and, and, and as a hostage living beneath what he's been called and destined to be is I have to keep him believing a lie. Because as long as he's, watch this, he thinks he's a prisoner, but not really a prisoner, he'll remain a prisoner because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And, the, this, this, and, and this Japanese commander was really counting down. He knew it was a matter of time that this general who he had been beating up and smacking around was coming to an end. And there was coming a moment where this, where General Wainwright was gonna come into the truth and realize all the while I didn't have to take what I was taking and go through what I was going, going through if I had only understood that I was a victor and not a victim. I come this morning to preach a little bit to you to help you understand that one of Satan's greatest fears is that the body of Christ really understand who we are and what we carry and what we're all about. Because I want to remind you there was a victory that was fought in another place on top of a hill. And there's a man named Jesus in a place called Calvary. And when he won the battle on that cross, come on somebody, on a hill that he set the captives free. And the worst thing that could happen to the believers in the body of Christ is to watch this, to have been given victory, but yet living in defeat. But understand... That was General Wainwright. I want to come to you and talk to you about General Gideon this morning. Because General Gideon faced some of the similar situations. For a moment in his time and a moment in his lifetime, Gideon lived as a prisoner of fear, as a prisoner of, 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 of fear and timidity and shame, hiding in caves, the scripture said, until he really understood the destiny and the call and the plan and purpose God had upon his life. I'm going somewhere. 
Understand this, the scripture said this, that Israel had come under oppression of, of, under the oppression of Midian. Now understand this, Gideon was crying and saying, hey, I don't understand why we're going what we're going through and doing what we have to do. But in reality, they had become under the Midianite oppression for the sake of their disobedience. Oh, no claps there. And the Bible said because they did not obey God, he gave them over to the Midianites, the scripture said, because of their disobedience. It removed them out of the protective custody of God, the scripture said. And therefore, they became subject to the attacks of the enemy. And the Bible said this, that they, they were living, listen to this, they were hiding in places for themselves, their, them and their families, in mountains, in caves and in strongholds, the scripture said, hiding God's people, God's called, God's chosen, his elect were hiding in caves and, 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 and their families were bound, the scripture said, in strongholds, families in strongholds, the scripture said. I want to tell you uh, several things that points out to us was this. The Bible said that the Midianites will always attack at the time of harvest. I want to tell you quickly this morning that your greatest attack will often come at the time of harvest in your life. The scripture said the moment they got ready for harvest to go reap, that's when the enemy would come in fiercely. I believe that when we see the attacks in society against our families, against our home uh, in general, when we see all the craziness and the attacks, I believe that, listen, it needs to be an indication, especially to those of faith, that could it be that the intensity of the attack is, the, is actually an indicator of the magnitude of the harvest that is at hand. I don't look out into the world and I don't see gloom when I look out into the world and I see harvest. When hell starts raging like it is right now, I'm telling you, I look out and say, there must be a great harvest that God is ready to reap because he said the harvest is plenty, but the labors are few. I don't know about you. No, I'm not just, just optimistic. I'm full of faith because of what this Bible says. I believe that we have yet to see the greatest harvest of souls come into the body of Christ and that's why hell is fighting like oh my God like crazy right now because at harvest time the enemy always comes to attack the scripture said this that I love this that we have to remember as the church that we have that 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 angels do get into the affairs of mankind the Bible said an angel came to Gideon the scripture said and spoke to him I want you to remember today, church, that the scripture is very clear that God often allows angelic involvement in human affairs. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 says angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who are going to inherit salvation. Now, some may sit back and Javon, you're getting a little weird. You're getting a little spooky. I don't know about that. Angels, angels, angels. No, I'm getting a little Bible. I'm getting a little scriptural. I'm getting what this scripture teaches us. I want to tell you, I've never seen one in real life. I don't know if I do see one with my reaction, but because the Bible said that angels are real, I believe that they are real. The Bible speaks about it over and over and over. Come on, some of the people who were called to be the great men and women 
women of God. They were called when they had an encounter with an angel. And I still believe today that we have angelic encampment. The Bible said the angels of the Lord encamp about them that fear him. I believe that God dispatches angels on our behalf. Warring angels, protecting angels. Come on, that fight for us. I know you don't believe me, but I'm going to preach it anyway. Does anybody still believe that there's angelic encampment that God sets out for his people? You need to understand that God knows how to turn our weakness into strength. Notice what Gideon said. He said, my my family is the weakness in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. When Gideon went, when God came to call Gideon, he didn't comprehend his destiny. He didn't understand what God was calling him to do. God, he was living in fear and God was calling him to be bold. He was living in timidity and shame and God says, no, it's time for you to step up and be a great leader. I want to tell you and remind you, as Paul, as, as, as Paul said in his writings, that our weakness is made, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. If you really understand that, you would understand your weakness can be weaponized by God. Mm. I'm going to say it again. Your weakness can be weaponized by God. God is the God that says, I take the strong things and confound them with the weak things. I'm the God that chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And for some of us, you have looked at your weakness and counted as a curse. But I want to tell you, according to this, God said in the same place that you've been weak, I can come in and turn it around and use it as a strength for my glory, for my praise, and for my honor. The Bible is filled with those that God powerfully used, having a history of weaknesses. You need to understand this. That there was a power in one person committed to God's cause. And I'm getting where I need to get. And that is when Gideon decided to commit himself fully to the cause of God. It was then that God began to use him in a way that I'm going to teach about here over the next few minutes. Use him in a way that not only would impact his life. But his family's life. And ultimately the nation that he lived in. Understand this. We often hear, this is where I got to go. We often hear about Gideon. And the first thing that comes to mind is Gideon and the 300. Come on. Everybody's heard the story. We hear Gideon, the 300. He had a large army. He was reduced down to 300 men. Gideon, the 300. Yeah, that's good. I want to declare to you this morning that that wasn't Gideon's greatest battle, in my opinion. And it wasn't his first major battle. See, we often hear about Gideon with the 300, but is there anybody in here know about Gideon and the 10? Because we read right over that. This is where I'm going this morning. We hear about the 300, but we don't hear about Gideon and the 10. When God first calls Gideon, here we go, watch this. The scripture said his first line of assignment was not to win a battle outside his home, but was first to win battles inside his home. God's first assignment for Gideon that we read over had nothing to do with everybody else's family. It had everything to do with his own family. The first battle he had to win was a battle with Baal. 
and it was the Baal of his father, which represent an idol God and a stronghold that had been set up in his family. And God said, before you can go get other people's stronghold broken, you need to start at home and get some things broken. So the first, and the Bible said when Gideon did it, he went and got 10 other men. Everybody reads over this. But you got to understand, the Bible said God told Gideon, he said, go get the bulls of your father. And he said, I want you to go and tear down the Baal and the Asherah pole that he erected. In other words, Gideon, before I send you to get everybody else's family right, we need to get some things right in your own family. He said, I want you to tear down, oh my God, that God in your family that is wicked, that is ugly, that is nasty, watch this, that seeks to create a cycle from generation to generation. In other words, Gideon, I'm calling you first to break some cycles in your family that your children and your children children and your children's children do oh I'm gonna preach now that don't have to worry about could it be that the first thing that God is showing us that some of us I want to declare you're called to be a cycle breaker there's some things that are not gonna go past your generation oh come on somebody you may come from a family that's been plagued with addiction and alcohol and divorce and and breakdown and busted and broke and everything else but it does not have to continue Continue that way. We need to believe that God wants to give us victory in our home and break cycles in our families that our children can live. Come on, somebody. Live in the perfect will of God and the way that he's designed. I know in my own family, we can list a lot of firsts. Between me and my wife, the first to do this, the first to do that, the first to do that, the first to do this. And I'm not bragging. I'm not. I'm humbled by it because I realize that could it be that God said, I'm raising you up in your side of the family and her side of the family to break some cycles, to break. Come on, somebody. Uh, come on. I don't know if you have the faith to believe the way that I believe that God set the solitary in families and bring it those out who are bound by chains. Just because nobody in your family hadn't did it don't mean you can't do it. Just because nobody else has started a business don't mean you can't do it. Just because nobody else hadn't written a book doesn't mean you can't do it. Just because nobody have gone to college and got a master's or even a doctor's degree, young people, it doesn't mean that you can't do it. Maybe mama didn't graduate, daddy was a high school dropout, but you can be a professor, you can be a president, you can be, a, oh God, an entrepreneur. Your future does not have to be dictated and determined by the past. Psycho breakers. I get upset. Break the cycle. I hated how addiction run through my family and drugs and alcohol tearing family members apart. But I've declared and vowed to God, Lord, use me to be a cycle breaker. And everything that is in me, help me to set the right standard for Shanna, for Sydney, for Jacob, with all that I have. I'm not perfect by any means, but my heart is to be everything that he called me to be so they don't have to walk in what I had to walk through so that my ceiling can be their foundation because God wants victory in the family.
You got to understand, the enemy wants us to be ignorant. The enemy wants us to not realize that we have the power to make a difference in our family. And I want to go through this because understand that Gideon said there were strongholds in the family. Strongholds that had to be broken. That word is not a word of intimidation. That word is not a word that we should be afraid of. But I want to declare today that God, here's what I'm preaching, is this right here. We have weapons that work. We have weapons that work that can ensure that we walk out the victory that Christ has given unto us in another place. Come on. We have weapons that, somebody shout it. We have weapons that work. We have weapons that work. We have weapons that work. I've been praying for victory in every one of your families. I've been speaking victory over everyone. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. What I'm preaching today, I've been declaring over your family all week long. They got weapons that will work. I don't care what the devil is trying to work against them. I, they have weapons that work. Where are you going? Let me just get there. The Bible said that our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down vain imaginations and every hot thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of Christ. Oh my Lord, can I just preach this a little bit and I'm going to get out of the way so we, can, so we can pray. The Bible said we have, number one, he, he helps us to understand that you and I are in a war. We are in a war for our families right here and right now. If you don't see it, you better recognize it. We are in a war, but it's a fixed fight if you know that the, we have weapons that work. Come on, somebody. It's a fixed fight. What are you saying, Javon? Strongholds, fortified thoughts in our mind, lies. They're fortified lies that we have accepted as truth. Therefore, it has a, a, a binding, a bondage in our mind. And watch this. Your thoughts come, become your actions. Your actions become your behaviors. And your behaviors become your lifestyle. And so when I see somebody's lifestyle and their behavior, it's not don't, act, don't ask why do they act like that. You got to ask, why are they thinking like that? Because the reason why they act like that is because they first have to think like that. You got to get to the thoughts before you get to the action. That's why we can't clean fish before we catch them. That's why we got to be a church. I don't care how they behave. I don't care how they look. I don't care how they smell. I don't care how they sound. Come on up in here. And I'm believing that the power of the Holy Ghost will deal with your thoughts. And when he deals with your thoughts, he'll take care of the actions. We got weapons that work. Can I give them to you? The scripture just says this. I know this sounds foundation, but this foundational, but we need to understand this. And I'm praying that you would exercise this over your family and over our children this year. And from here on out, the days ahead of us. Number one, the Bible said the, the, pow the power of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if you caught this about Gideon. Judges chapter 6, verse 34, it says this. The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. One translation said he enveloped Gideon. So Gideon wasn't doing what he did in his own strength or ability. And anytime we depend in our own strength and ability, we're living, living in, a limita in, in the limitations of our own flesh. But the scripture tells us in John 16 that Jesus says, it is expedient that I must go. 
He said, so that the comforter can come. One translation put it like this. It is to your advantage so that the divine encourager can come. I want to tell you that we have the weapon of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit in our life automatically puts us in the place of advantage. Well, Javon, you don't know how I feel. You don't know why. I don't care. I'm sorry. I'm not being insensitive, but the Bible said if you have the Spirit of God abiding in you, you are in the advantage place. And I want us to believe that, come on, it's God and us are the majority. Come on, somebody. God and us are the majority. I want to tell you the promise of the Spirit is a promise of power. I am amazed that everybody will grab a hold to the promise, this promise to provide, promise to keep, promise to protect, but we'll skip over the promise for the filling of the Holy Spirit. The Bible said this is the promise of the Father. This promise is for you and your children. It's a promise, and it's a promise that connects you to power. And the weapon of the Spirit of God is the, one of the greatest weapons that we have. Number two, real quickly as I teach, not only the power of the Spirit, but the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians six seventeen says this, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Notice this, God, the God's armor in Ephesians 6, it mentions a sword, but it never mentions a sheath. Because the word has always been meant, watch this, to be in your hand and be in your heart and never been laid up and put to side. It mentions a sword, but not a sheet. And you have to understand, what do you mean by that? The word of God. The scripture tells us this, that Gideon and Gideon chapter eight, watch this. The Bible said that after he had pursued eight wicked kings, the Bible said he looked to his son Jether and the scripture said he told him to pull the sword and kill them. But the Bible said this, that he could not do it because he was a youth. And the enemy looked up, the wicked kings looked at Gideon pretty much mocking him and saying, if you the man, you do it. And the scripture said he took the sword and he killed every one of those kings, three of them, watch this, for his son. The sword of the Spirit, the power of the Word of God. Jesus even showed us his defense mechanism against the enemy was the Word. Is the one thing that Gideon used for his family, watch this, to kill things that were coming after his children. Don't speak your mind, speak God's Word. Don't cuss them out, confess them out. Oh, I'm preaching right now. Your little cuss words don't do nothing. Your flesh don't do nothing. Don't, giving them the finger don't do nothing. Give them the word of God. Because see, these weapons are designed to lay an axe to the root. And the stuff that we're dealing with is natural in sight, but spiritual at its root. And what we have been called to do is war in the spirit and not fight in the flesh. Quit cussing. Quit acting a fool and start saying what God said about your children. My children are blessed and highly favored of the Lord. My children shall know God and do mighty exploits. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. This is not a flesh fight. It's a faith fight. And words matter. 
I want to tell you the weapon of prayer, it still works. The Bible said that Gideon, watch this, after he tore the altar down, he, watch this, the, 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 the Baal altar down, God said, now you build an altar for me on top of it. In other words, watch this, where an altar of the enemy was broken down, God said, I want you to put an altar there. And what the Lord dealt with me about, he said, he said, tell the people, get your family altar back. When's the last time you pulled that family together and prayed? When's the last time you just got together for a few moments and said, we're going to pray? Come on, we're going to cover the house. Have you lost your family altar? I'm not talking about just praying here and there, and that's, that's good. But it dealt with me. Gideon understood it's not just about what I got to get things out, but it's also what I got to get in. Because the Bible said when an unclean spirit is cast out, he walks about dry places and he comes back to that house trying to get back in. And he said when he finds it garnished and swept, he goes back and gets seven other demons and come back and the latter end is worse than the former. So it's the power of the Holy Spirit that can break a yoke and destroy a yoke and run the devil out. And it's the power of prayer with an altar in the hole that will keep the devil out. It's not enough to get, come on somebody, to clean the house. We got to fill the house. Last one and I got to pray. Now my clock is counting down on me right now. I want to give you this one. I got some more. Maybe I'll do a part two. But this is the one that got me right here. The weapon. See, I know I can go to the blood, but I'm going to give you this one. The weapon of community and connection. Did you catch the fact that the Bible said Gideon got 10 men? God told him to do it, but Gideon, he went and got 10 brothers. Can I tell you that sometimes we need backup? It's okay. You're not a punk in the spirit because you got back up. But I don't need nobody. That's what's wrong with you. He went and got 10 other brothers or sisters. And the Bible said they went together. And they tore that thing down. I believe this is one of the most neglected weapons that the body of Christ have is community and connection. We are not to be made to be islands alone. You will not be everything that God called you to be or your family by yourself. We need each other. I said we need each other. The Bible said one can be overtaken by a man, but two will withstand him. A threefold cord is hard to be broken. That's why it's important that we, we don't just talk about small groups and getting planted and plugged into the church just so we can say, look who's on the roster. There's power in our connection. How often did the apostle Paul of anybody the greatest Christian outside of Christ, in my opinion, that walked the earth responsible for two-thirds of the New Testament over and over in all of his writings, he beckoned the people, come pray with me, pray with me, stand with me, believe with me. Paul did. But yet, I think it's the enemy's strategy to get us separated and isolated. Like the little deer on National Geographic that strays away from the pack and gets consumed by the lion. I want to tell you we have the weapon 
of community and connection. Get you some brothers in Christ. Get you some sisters in Christ. Stay planted to the house of God. Get in community. Get in connection. There's a great, there's a weapon to it. The Bible said one can set a thousand at flight, but two ten thousand. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. You need connection and community. And as they get ready to line up the kids, because I'm getting ready to pray. The last one is this is the weapon of obedience. Ooh. I know y'all wanted me to say the blood and all that. No, 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 no. The weapon of obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Your love for me is demonstrated in how you, come on, obey me. And to truly walk, continue to walk in victory requires us to live in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because many want him to be Savior, but few want him to be Lord. Get me in the heaven, but let me live how I want to live on earth. But the scripture, you need to understand, he's both Lord and Savior. And matter of fact, it speaks of him being Lord more than it does Savior. And if I want Come on, our families, our homes individually have to be in submission and obedience. And the scripture said, when you operate with the weapon of obedience, listen to this, it punished disobedience. Every time you obey God, you smack the devil in the face. Every time you say yes to the spirit and no to the flesh, you punish disobedience. Every time you say, not my will, but thy will be done, God moves on your behalf. And sometimes obedience doesn't make sense. Sometimes it seems crazy because Gideon didn't understand that why are you telling me, God, to take some pictures with a torch and some lanterns and I'm facing the biggest battle in my life and I got a, a flashlight and a trumpet? But the Bible said that when he took that, those lanterns and obeyed what God said to do, when they broke them, the Bible said the enemy turned on himself, on themselves and were scattered. Why? The enemy that was trying to take over their families and rob their homes, watch this, was punished because that, that man in that house said, that family, Gideon said, my people, my family is going to live in obedience. What if your greatest breakthrough is not on the next person that lay hands on you or the next prophetic word that you get? Could it be if you obey the last thing God told you to do? Maybe your breakthrough is not dependent on God come. Maybe it's dependent on you to obey God. What could be held up in our families, in our lives just a failure to obey but I want to encourage you today this is not a down and out is that when it comes to our families strongholds do not have to be dominant cycles can be broken bondages can be, be loosed peace joy and tranquility can fill our homes but what we cannot do is be ignorant of the wiles of the enemy and not knowing the weapons that we possess. I'm going to do a part two on this and teach the rest. But today I'm going to stop there. But I want you to know as you stand to your feet. 
that for your family, we have weapons that work. Give God a hand clap of praise. Come on, do you believe that? I said, do you believe that? As they come, they're going to start here. As they're lining up, everyone pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you died and rose again. I believe that the blood you shed cleanses me from all of my sins. And I believe that today that you are Lord and that you are King of all. And I thank you through your finished work on the cross. You've given me weapons that work. They're going to work for me and they're going to work for my family. We will be victorious through Christ Jesus, in Jesus' name. For more information about this message or to join us at one of our live services at Free Chapel Spartanburg, visit freechapel.org Spartanburg. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you soon at Free Chapel Spartanburg.